SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome everybody into another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. I'm your host as always, Brian Stone, uh, joined once again by Louisiana writer Matt Miguez. Matt, we're going to do a little bit of a, a, a potpourri uh, episode, if you will. We're just talking about a little bit of everything since we didn't have a ton of games this past weekend. Yeah, and you know, like you said, there wasn't a whole lot of games on the docket, and then you know, we got to spend the majority of our time on this colossal title game matchup. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll get to that. Uh, we've had a couple coaching changes in the Sun Belt, uh, and we've also had three bowl games announced uh, as of when we're recording this, which is Wednesday the 16th. Uh, so I guess let's start off with the, uh, the games from over the weekend. Uh, Coastal Carolina in one of our two games that we had uh, had a little bit of an upset scare, uh, let down spot against Troy. However, you know, they were able to score uh, right at the end of this game. Um, kind of ripped Troy's heart out, to be totally honest with you. Uh, Troy has a 38-35 lead with a minute 20 to go, and it took Coastal all of 45 seconds of game time to score and eventually win this game. Yeah, you know, I was actually out doing Christmas shopping on Saturday because obviously with Louisiana already having clinched their spot in the title game as well as Coastal, I was keeping a close eye on that game because obviously a loss to Troy would have made this conference championship game a little less significant. Yeah. Um, so I was keeping I was keeping a close eye on that game, and I'd gone maybe about an hour, hour and a half without looking at it, and I get a text from one of my buddies, and he said, "Are you seeing this?" <laughs> yeah. I said, "Am I seeing what?" He said, "Turn on <laughs> Troy and Coastal." So I get home and I turn on Troy and Coastal, and there's a minute and a half left, and Coastal's down three, and I said, "What the hell?" Yeah. Like I, I, that was that was my reaction too. Yeah, and then like you said, it took forty something seconds to to get down the field and score, um, which made me feel a little bit better. But, uh, well, I th- I think the one thing you can say is this loss isn't or uh, this win rather or or uh, close loss I guess on tr- from Troy's perspective. Uh, I mean, this was on their defense a hundred percent. Troy's defense, um, you know, Coastal uh, allowed two different uh, quarterbacks in Gunnar Watson and Jacob Free to throw for a combined three fifty four in this game. Um, so I, you know, I, I clearly know that you're not the one putting together the game plan uh, for the conference championship game. But do you think this kind of encourages Louisiana to maybe air the ball out just a little bit more, uh, knowing that, you know, they've they've got some uh, some areas in the secondary where they could potentially be exploited? Yeah, you know, there, there's definitely some some weaknesses in the secondary. Uh, one guy from Coastal Carolina that really impresses me is uh the Jordan Strong. He was a he was a JUCO transfer. This is his first year with the program and he's currently tied for the national lead in interceptions. Yeah, I saw that. Uh I thought that was that was fairly crazy, but I mean their entire season has been just 
accolades on top of accolades so far. So I'm I, I'm kind of surprised, but I'm also not at the same time, if that makes any sense. Right, right. And yeah, I mean, I'm kind of feeling the same way about it. But yeah, like you said, there's definitely some weaknesses in the secondary. I would just throw to the other side of the Jordan Trump. Yeah. Uh, for sure. So, uh, like I said, you know, Gunnar Watson, Jacob free went for, uh, 354 on 55 attempts. Uh, this is kind of Troy's MO. Uh, they didn't run the ball very effectively, but they're not a running football team and coastal's front sevens pretty strong. So I, I guess, uh, you know, I, I guess chip Lindsay saw something on tape he liked and, uh, ended up, you know, almost pulling off the upset. If Troy's defense I mean, is even, you know, average level Sunbelt defense this year. I, I mean, I think we're looking at, you know, what do they play? 11 games. I think we're looking at a seven and four team. And, and this has kind of been the, uh, the, the uh, uh, nail in the coffin for their season is they just, they throw the ball a ton, but they just don't stop anybody. And you saw it on that last drive. Coastal was able to score in like i said like 45 seconds i mean i i I watched that drive and couldn't believe it was happening as i was watching it like i know coastal's a better football team than troy but for troy to just be so soft through the air and just let grayson mccall chew them up the whole way down i i uh i I just couldn't believe that they were letting them do that after taking you know this would have made their year troy i mean they don't they didn't have a lot going for them this year uh, and, and to beat, to knock off a ranked, t- you know, top 15 team in the country to end their season would have made their year, but their defense is just, it's tough, man. Yeah. You can tell that they've been struggling from a defensive standpoint and they've really been struggling from a defensive standpoint <clears throat> for a while now, which I think is part of the reason why Chip Lindsay was let go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens over in Troy. But yeah, like you said, if they could have if they could have won that game, I mean that would have been crazy in terms of what that would have done to the Sun Belt Conference. For sure. Um, so you know, uh Grayson McCall was once again excellent. Uh they kind of put the 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 team on his back a little bit. I mean, CJ Marable had, you know, 20, 120 yards on 20 carries and two scores, but Grayson McCall, 24 of 29 uh, for 338 and three touchdowns. I, I mean, we've we've said it week in and week out, and he's been the, the real motor of this Chanticleers team and why they've been so good. But, I mean, to, to orchestrate that kind of drive at the end of the game there just shows how he's... He's almost mature beyond, you know, we said he's a freshman last week. He's he's so much much more mature than what you typically see out of a freshman quarterback. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yesterday, um, you know, I've talked about my my UL podcast on here before. We did our we did our preview episode for this title game and we sat down with the sports director for one of the news stations in Myrtle Beach. And mm-hmm. We were talking about, you know, Grayson McCall and all this stuff. He said, man, you know, isn't isn't it crazy that the kid's 19 years old and he's playing like a grown man? Yeah, I mean, it it is. There's – This has to be the biggest uh, upset of the year that, like, Coastal has a a freshman quarterback come in and just – 
he almost righted all their wrongs on the offensive side yeah. of the ball from last year to this year. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought that a 5-7 and seven team last year was a quarterback away from being top 10 in the country? Yeah, I, I like I said last week, I, I definitely didn't think that this team was, you know, they get a good quarterback in there. They're looking at a, you know, all-time great Sunbelt right. season. Like, I was like, no, they're, they're a couple pieces away, but I mean... McCall just smooths over all the issues with that offense. And I think also just looking from last year to this year, Chadwell, I think has really streamlined his play calling for them. Um, Like when Georgia Southern played coastal last year, I couldn't really figure out what his plan was. Um, You know, CJ Marable's their best running back. And last year, their entire offense funneled through him. Well, when we played him, he didn't hardly get any carries and he wasn't hurt and he played. So I just couldn't figure out like what Chadwell's mindset was going into that game. So it feels like he's finally decided I'm just going to play to this team's strengths and and not like outsmart myself when calling plays. Yeah, uh, he he's definitely improved his his play calling ability. But like you said, you know, I, I think a big part of that is just get, gaining experience. I mean, this is only his second or third year coaching D1 football. Yeah, and I mean, he came from, you know, an FCS school, I believe, in Charleston Southern. So, you know, and I I think he was a head coach for a little bit there, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't one of these guys that had been like a a Willie Fritz that had hung out at the FCS level for a while and kind of had built up a reputation. I mean, Charleston Southern, from what I understood when he got hired at Coastal, had kind of outplayed what they probably should have been. And that's why he got the look to be the OC originally at Coastal. And then, you know, their their uh, longtime head coach steps away from the game, retires, and he takes over. You know, like you said, credit to him. I mean, he's he's definitely matured as a play caller and, and as a coach just situationally. And it's it's done wonders for, for how this team's been this year. Um, but just wrapping up here, you know, this will – I assume be the last time we talk about Troy this season. Do you have any final thoughts? Like what, what is this team to you? And I mean, outside of just throwing a blanket over the, over the defense and being like, this entire thing needs to be fixed. Like what, what is it about this team, both offensively and defensively that you think needs to change in order for them to be successful? You know, I've I've always thought that Troy was, was a decent program that we're just, you know, maybe missing one or two things. And, you know, I think, I think you really saw that this year. Um, you know, in my, in my opinion, if you can get a guy, I don't know, like Gus Malzahn, or maybe come yeah. back to the Sun Belt, take over that Troy program and try to revitalize it. I think that's what they're missing. Yeah. Um, You know, like I said, uh, their offense this year has not on paper been the issue. I mean, they've had issues with consistency and and doing that, you know, chuck it style every week where they're just like no risk it, no biscuit, throw it down the field and and run a bunch of hurry up. Um, But yeah, I mean, that defense is is a a huge part of why this team has struggled even the last going back the last two years. Um but yeah, uh, all in all, Coastal eventually comes away with the win 
They move to 11-0 and 8-0 in Sunbelt play. They'll meet Louisiana in the title game. We'll get into that in a little bit. Troy drops to 5-6, 3-4 in Sunbelt play, and that is pretty much it for the 2020 Troy Trojans. Uh, getting into our second and final game, uh, we actually had Arkansas State and Incarnate Word uh, that we talked about last week get canceled. So this was the second and final game of the night. Uh, Appalachian State comes into Statesboro and beats Georgia Southern 34-26. Um, the one thing that I'll say in this game was uh, Justin Tomlin, our second string quarterback, came into this game uh, injured uh, or at least you know banged up. And he ran for a touchdown in the second quarter, and then he got carted off the field, and we were forced to play a third-string quarterback for the remainder of the game. And it definitely showed because Georgia Southern could not move the football after uh, Tomlin left the game with injury. Yeah, you know, any time that you're missing a guy like Shy Wirtz, um, you know, it, it, it's hard to put your game plan together, and it's hard to give um, – it's hard to – be you know up to your standard and whatnot Mm -hmm. so yeah i I think that i i hate to say it like this but i think that game was was dead to rights probably before it even started um yeah strictly for that reason yeah i agree so um yeah i i honestly didn't think that they were going to be able to hold on even with tomlin in the game um you know, he played fairly well in the first half. Uh, and and honestly, the defense for Georgia Southern, when they went into halftime with that 17-7 to lead, like, I couldn't believe it because their defense was playing out of their mind. Like, at the time, at halftime, Zach Thomas couldn't do anything. And I know we had talked about before, like, if you take away his running ability, he's, he's greatly uh, reduced in what he's able to do as a quarterback. Um, they had kind of hemmed him up and kind of shut down the running game. I mean, Cameron Peoples had some success, but um, in the first half, I mean, App wasn't able to, to hardly move the ball at all. They had one drive in, at the end of the second quarter, and then that was pretty much it. So, like I said, you know, Miller Mosley, our third-string quarterback, who doesn't even fit the scheme of the offense, so it kind of makes me wonder why he even played um he's more of like a pocket passer and um yeah you it definitely showed when you have a guy playing quarterback for a team that doesn't fit what the team does it's a mess and that's kind of what the second half of this game was yeah um and and you know i can't speak too much because i I really didn't watch much of this game um Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean i'll I'll reiterate anytime not only an athlete like shy words but a leader like Shy Wirtz. Um, and also throwing an inexperienced backup saying, hey, you know, I know you've played like one, maybe two games this year, but mm-hmm. let's, go, let's go play App State. Yeah. Like that, yeah. That, that's, not, that's not the greatest task. Well, and, it, and it's also, you know, like I touched on, it's also like an issue of asking your defense to go out there and hold them to – 17 points like that was essentially what georgia southern asked their defense to do go out there and and for 60 minutes we're not going to move the ball in the second half so you guys are going to be on the field a lot just hold them to 17 points and it's like well if the offense isn't going to give us any rest 
how are we supposed to do that? And and that was essentially <clears throat> what happened was, you know, at ripped off two touchdowns uh, to start, you know, our middle of the fourth quarter. And the game was essentially over because Georgia Southern, after that point, they, they couldn't move the football. So when they got down 31 to 20, I mean, I tweeted this out. I was like, that's ball game. They can't make a 11 points has never felt so far away. Uh, as it did when in the second half when Georgia Southern was down 11. Um, So the other thing I I wanted to add, uh, finishing this regular season up, Georgia Southern has had a halftime lead in three of their final four games and have blown three out of their final four games. Um, So they started the season six and two and they ended it seven and five. Say what you want about quarterback injuries, but – there's not really an excuse for the Georgia state game. There's not really an excuse for the army game. This one, if you want to make an excuse, I'll hear it. But, uh, to blow three of your final four games that you had a lead going into halftime is it's tough to, uh, it's tough to swallow, uh, as a fan of this team. Right. Yeah. It, like, like you said, that's a, that's a hard pill to swallow. Um, coming from a guy who is now, you know, one and eight, against app state mm-hmm. um and so like like you said it, it's just a, a bitter way to to end the season but if you're a georgia southern fan like you like you are um you know I, I think you guys have positive things coming especially with chad lunsford as your head coach uh, I mean, we'll see. I, I mean, I think with how Lunsford wants to run the team, he's he's more like a uh, Dabo Sweeney type CEO coach where he just hires the, the coordinators and lets them do whatever they want. Um, and j- he just makes uh, large you know, decisions during the game, like calling timeout or going forward on fourth down. I mean, I think it all comes down to uh, who he hires as the offensive coordinator full time. Um, you know, I, I joked on Saturday, I was like, when, uh, or uh, Sunday, when, when Malzahn got canned, I was like, hey, we've got an opening in offensive coordinator. And then I was like, just kidding. I mean, unless he wants to consider it. Well, right. So, if he's considering it, then absolutely, we'll take him. And, and Auburn can pay his salary next year. He's supposed to make $21 million. Um, but other than that, uh, to close out this game, Nate Noel, uh, kind of was the one that gashed Georgia Southern in this one. 13 carries, 103 and a score. He had a 70-yard touchdown run. Thomas was okay, but this has kind of been par for the course for him this year. He barely got over the 200-yard mark against, like I said, a team that had kind of just thrown in the towel in the second half. Uh, 208, two touchdowns, one pick. Uh, that quarterback that I mentioned, Miller Mosley, was pretty awful, to be totally honest. Five for 14 122, one touchdown, two interceptions. Uh, so that closes the season out for App, at least the regular season. Uh, they moved to eight and three with the the win in their rivalry game. Uh, six and two, they'll finish the season in conference play. Georgia Southern, like I said, drops to seven and five, and four and four in Sun Belt play to to close out the year. Um, so I think what we should get into right now. Uh, let's go ahead and preview. Uh, the conference championship game, um, you know, Georgia, uh, not Georgia, uh, Coastal Carolina and Louisiana uh, will face off for the second time this year. 
Uh, definitely played what was an exciting, very close game earlier this season. Uh, I guess my question, Matt, uh, since you are the Louisiana guy, give me what does Louisiana need to do differently from what they did earlier this season when they played Coastal in order to win this game and kind of propel themselves up to the next, you know, G5 level that everyone's kind of looking at Coastal as right now? Not give the game away. Fair. I mean, to, to put it to put it bluntly, um, we we gave the game away when they came to Lafayette. You know, it was a it was a back and forth game. We kind of traded touchdowns for a while, and then right there late in the game, we had an interception, and then two drives later, we had a fumble. And I mean, we 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 put them in prime position. To march down the field, kick a time-expiring field goal, win the game. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you limit those turnovers and you limit, you know, penalties and whatever else, I mean, I, I know that sounds, you know, pretty like, well, yeah, obviously. But, I mean, it, it, it couldn't be truer in this in this fact. You know, on, on paper, I think Coastal and Louisiana are the same team if not Louisiana being a little bit better. Okay. Um, so to, to kind of go back to what I said earlier, uh, do you feel like um, you guys should maybe put the ball in Levi Lewis's hand a little bit more and ask him to do a little bit more uh, through the air and maybe even with his legs in order to win this one? I mean, he ran for 84 yards and a score, uh, in the earlier meeting this year, but he only threw for 177. If we've seen something from last week's game against Troy, it's that if Coastal has, you know, a kind of chink in the armor, so to speak, it would probably be in their secondary through the air. Do you want to see Louisiana kind of put the ball in Lewis's hands and ask him to do a little bit more in order to kind of uh, give Coastal something more to think about than just, you know, obviously you guys' bread and butter is running the football, but... Do you want to give them, you know, kind of another aspect to, to be more worried about than just running it? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think we've got some great, great talent out at wide receiver. Um, you know, we've been banged up there all year long. Uh, but, you know, when you've got guys like <clears throat> Peter LeBlanc, who really came on the scene last year, he's only a sophomore. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Jalen Williams, he's an LSU transfer. He's kind of the leader of that group. And then you've got, and you've got some freshmen that have just walked onto campus and said, "I'm ready to play now." I mean, Kyron mm-hmm. Lacey, Dante Fleming, Errol Rogers Jr. Guys have really made an impact immediately. So yeah, I mean, I think we, I think we've got weapons that that most secondaries, frankly, won't be able to keep up with. Um, and and I, I think it's I think it's the same with Coastal, like we said earlier. Outside of the Jordan Strong, I think there's definitely weaknesses to exploit in that secondary. Uh, and you know, going back to that first Coastal meeting, that was really the first game that you saw Levi Lewis really be able to run. Because um, for a while, the coaching staff kind of wanted to play it safe and you know keep him from getting injured and all this other stuff. And now they're letting him play to his strengths, which is move around, move out of the pocket, make throws on the run, or take off running if he needs to. 
Um, and since then, I mean, we've been – we're on a six-game win streak. So mm-hmm. I, I think if you keep doing what you're doing, but at the same time, yeah, you know, every now and again let Levi, you know, maybe air it out deep to one of his speedy receivers and just, I mean, see where it gets you. As yeah, the, I mean, well, you you could at least take a shot at getting like a PI – uh, like a right. pass interference or or maybe you hit one of those balls deep and and then it just kind of opens everything else up for the rest of the game um i i guess uh my other main question that i have for you uh clearly grayson mccall's favorite target this year has been javon haley um and in the first meeting between you guys he went for eight eight 108 and a score how important and and you know if you guys were able to bottle him up in this meeting, what percent chance I guess would you give Louisiana of coming out with a win in this one? Because that's been the tall task for every other team that's played Coastal this year. Is Haley's kind of pre- presented problems for every team that they've played, so no one's really been able to kind of put him you know in his place yet. He's averaging you know almost sixteen yards a catch. He has a uh, 10 touchdowns, uh, 52 catches this year. He has 27 more catches this season than the next highest uh, receiver for Coastal. So what do you think you guys need to do to help bottle him up? And and like I said, what kind of chance do you give Louisiana if you're able to contain him, let's say? I mean, if we're able to contain him, uh, I think we have a great chance. Because like, like you said, McCall – Love the ball in Javon Haley's hands, and rightly so. I mean, he's a he's a fantastic receiver. I think he also, from a defensive standpoint, you have to account for Isaiah Likely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think they're both very talented, very football smart wide receivers that can really hurt you if you give them the opportunity to. So yeah, but like you said, you know, McCall seems to favor Haley a little bit more. So I think if if you contain Haley, force him to throw to Likely and also put good coverage on Isaiah Likely, yeah, I mean, our, our chances are, are phenomenal because as much as I respect C.J. Marable, Coastal Carolina can't win being one-dimensional. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, another thing that's that's maybe not underrated, but, you know, just not a, not something you think about when you talk about Coastal is – Grayson McCall's ability to scramble as well. Um, you know, when he played you guys earlier this year, went 11 carries, 45 yards, and a score. I, I think the the biggest problem, and this is a, a kind of a no-brainer statement by me, but I'm going to say it anyway, is McCall just presents so many issues, much like a Levi Lewis does. You know, he he can throw the ball accurately like we saw last week against Troy. He can run the ball when he, you know, needs to scramble. Uh, he's got, you know, like a couple weapons, like you said, Haley, uh, likely uh, they can run the ball with Marable. So it's going to be, I think, you know, despite you guys having a good defense for sure, I think it's definitely going to be a tall task to find a way to, I guess, funnel everything into Coastal Carolina running the ball, I get, I right. guess would be the plan, right? I, I mean, you know, you would want, you wouldn't want to take the chance on Marable potentially beating you ra- rather than making McCall make all the plays because we've seen he can do that 100 um so yeah it, it, it's definitely 
I can't again as much as I respect CJ Marable, I, I just I don't see him running for two fifty and four scores. Mm-hmm. And in, in my personal opinion, that's the only way you're going to beat Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so as we kind of close out our preview of this game, give me your score prediction uh, for this one. Uh, Coastal coming into this one is a three and a half point favorite at home. Oh, God. Um, it's going to be a battle for sure. Um, it, it's going to be one of the best football games in the history of the Sunbelt Conference. But at, at the end of it, you know, as biased as this is going to sound, I, I fully believe that the Cajuns raise the trophy at the end of it. 31-27. All right. Uh, I I think I would I would take Coastal to win this rematch. I think the final score is going to be something like 24-20. Um, I think this one's going to be a pretty fairly low-scoring game. Uh, I think both teams have had this one uh you know we we talked about coastal having the trap game potentially last week against troy and the way that they played i think that coastal has had ever since the byu game which obviously has only been a couple weeks now but i think they've had this game circled on their calendar and that's the reason they almost had a letdown spot last week against troy um but yeah i'll take uh, coastal in this one in the rematch 24 to 20 uh so let's get into some coaching changes uh within the sun belt Let's talk about kind of the uh, the weird double switch that happened. Uh, Blake Anderson leaves Arkansas State uh, after a four and seven record this year uh, to go to Utah State, and uh, former Tennessee head coach, former Cincinnati head coach Butch Jones, who's been on Alabama's staff under Nick Saban the last couple of years, um, comes in and replaces him. Matt, I have I have a very important question to ask you with this coaching change. Does Arkansas State inherit the Champions of Life moniker from Tennessee, or do they have to earn that? They have to earn it. 100%. <laughs> no, 100%. That has to be earned. Um, but no, man, you know, I always respected Blake Anderson, former former UL coach. He was our offensive coordinator back in 07. Uh, so I've always, I've always respected Blake and his family. And obviously, you know, what happened with his wife a couple years ago. But, uh, He's got a great opportunity in the Mountain West at Utah State. Uh, similar program to Arkansas State with a bigger budget and better resources. So I think I think that was a good move for Blake for his career. Um, and, man, what a hire by Arkansas State to to get Butch Jones. I mean – For sure. I, I know he, he wasn't, you know, great at Tennessee, but, I mean – the guy was a head coach at Tennessee, and then he spent the last three years on Nick Saban's staff. Yeah, I mean, I mean how do you how do you lose at that point? So, uh, great hire by by the administration in Jonesboro for sure. Yeah, so honestly, there have been so many coaches that have come through Tennessee that have just flamed out that I'm almost wondering if they're more of a coach killer type of school rather than it being the coach's fault. Um, I think expectations there are unnecessarily high, especially uh, everybody there still thinks it's the Peyton Manning era and that they need to be national champions every year. And it's just not that anymore. They've, they're, they've honestly gone the Texas route and have kind of taken a backseat to a lot of other schools 
but for some reason the expectations are still unnecessarily like i said high um you know he did a great job uh at cincinnati before he took over at tennessee um and uh you know they went nine and three in 2012 uh the other thing i'll say is you know 2016 he had a pretty good season at tennessee nine and four uh they finished second in the east I mean, clearly things didn't finish uh, out the way that, you know, he probably would have hoped. But, I mean, he had a bunch of good players come through Tennessee. And uh, we've seen before, you know, Arkansas State has kind of nailed these types of hires in the past. You know, Malzahn made a stop through there uh, after he, you know, uh, had left Auburn the first time when he was the offensive coordinator and it worked out. So... I think the interesting thing, the interesting question is if Butch Jones is successful at Arkansas State, you know, let's say they go, what, eight and four, nine and three. How many years do you think he can put up records like that before he gets poached by a bigger, another power five school willing to give him a second shot at it? Two years. Yeah, I'd probably say two or three. Um, I think Arkansas State has a lot of issues right now. Um, I think it's going to be more than one year, definitely, for him to turn those around. Their defense is bad. Um, now, now offensively, he knows, you know, Lane Hatcher. Lane Hatcher used to, you know, went to Alabama originally and transferred to Arkansas State. He's got a fairly good quarterback, like I said, in Hatcher. Um, you yeah, know, they've always got good weapons. So, I mean, the offense is set up. It's just the defense needs serious yeah. fixing. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you know that that's kind of always been Arkansas State's issue. Mm-hmm. I feel like ever since Demario Davis graduated, they have always struggled on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, I feel like uh, William Bradley King was pretty much like kind of the last uh, you know solid piece on their defense right. that I could name. Uh, and then you know he was a grad transfer to Baylor, and then I I honestly couldn't name a single player on their defense after the, at that point. Um, so, yeah, so uh, Butch Jones takes over at Arkansas State. We'll see what he's able to do in Blake Anderson's uh, departure. Uh, like we said, Anderson moves out west to go take over Utah State. There was one other uh, big hire that's been made so far. Uh, South Alabama replaced Steve Campbell, who went 4-7 and seven this year, uh, with Kane Womack. Womack? Uh, I'm not 100% sure how his last name is pronounced, but he has been – indiana's offensive coordinator uh i've been very impressed with what he's been able to do at indiana um i i think this is i mean it remains to be seen what he's like as a head coach but i think from a play calling perspective this fits like a glove um again i think they have a good quarterback in desmond trotter he has some weapons to work with i i think again the the thing that needs to be fixed is a consistency showing up every week and playing the same so that you can kind of give yourself a chance and also just be the defense. I mean, the defense has been an issue for them as well. So what did you kind of think of this hire and and what do you think, how good of a job do you think right now South Alabama is as far as it kind of slates in among the Sunbelt jobs? You know, first off, um, I, I did want to point out, you said that he was the offensive coordinator at Indiana. He was the defensive coordinator. Oh, okay. My, but, my uh, fault. I thought he was the offensive coordinator. But no, um, yeah, you know, I, I think South Alabama is a, a great, great place to be right now. 
They just got a state-of-the-art on-campus facility for their football stadium. I mean, like like I've said before, Mobile is not a bad place to be. You're you're an hour from one of the most tourist-populated beaches in the country. Um, so I think I think it's it's got to be pretty easy to get kids to come play there. Mm-hmm. And you know, being being in Mobile, you're three hours from New Orleans. You know, you're a couple hours from Pensacola. So I mean, there's talent to to pull from. You know, right there in your backyard, really. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think they're in a good spot. I think Kane Walmack's a, a hell of a coach. He's got the uh, the coaching pedigree for sure. Uh, his dad was an excellent coach for years and years. So I mean, I, I think I think South Alabama's in a good spot. And if you if you ask me to rank where they are in terms of coaching jobs in the conference, I mean, I, I would say. They're probably, if not top five, right outside of the top five in the conference. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's more than fair. Um, yeah, I, I think I think like I said, you know, they have a lot of things on the offensive side of the ball seemingly figured out. Obviously, it bring it, it brings up who he decides to make his offensive coordinator. Um, but they they've desperately needed help defensively. So I think he should come in and, and really provide like a steadying presence on the defensive side of the ball, provided, you know, he can kind of bring that same mojo or whatever you want to say that Indiana's had this year. I mean, I don't think anybody anticipated Indiana being as good as they were uh, this season coming in. So they've been a big surprise, but we'll have to see how much of it has been. Indiana's head coach seems like he can rally the troops at any time. And uh, we'll have to see how much of that Kane Womack has in his system. Um, But yeah, as of right now, the only other Sunbelt job uh, that is currently open at this point, Louisiana Monroe, uh, following departing ways, I guess, with Matt Viator is what they called it. Um, They are still looking for a new head coach. Um, You know, it's going to be a tough search for them to try to find someone to come in and, and change that program wholeheartedly. Um, but lastly here, we wanted to just touch on some of these bowl games that have been announced. Um, as far as it currently stands right now, uh, you know, like I said, we are recording this on Wednesday. So if there are more bowl games announced after this comes out, I'm not held liable for those, uh, app state on the 21st, uh, which would be this coming Monday is going to take on North Texas. in I believe what is the first ever, myrtle beach bowl um i think this is a brand new bowl uh and they will take on a four and five north texas school um i'm gonna say this uh a lot of these conference usa schools this year have been even in limited action have been pretty brutal wins and losses wise do you think that this hurts the sunbelt at all that they're taking you know the second best team in the east third best team in the conference in App State and putting them up against the North Texas school that's below 500? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. But, you know, the the talk of, of social media, especially over the last 12 hours, has been, you know, the bias of the, of the playoff committee towards towards PFIs. And, and sadly, I, I think that the bowl committee is no different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can be – eight and three 
in the Sun Belt, but you're still going to end up in, you know, the Myrtle Beach Bowl playing against a team that's not even 500. Um, I think it. I think it speaks though to how brutal. Like I said, the conference USA has been this year. Sure. I mean, you you look at it and it's Marshall is is like clear head and shoulders above every other team in that conference. You know that they, they were seven and one. Uh, they had a really surprising upset loss to Rice, uh, but o- overall they've they've easily been the best school in that conference i mean they beat app state earlier this year so they've they're they're for real i think even though they had the one slip up then when you start then when you kind of start going through the ranks though it's like utsa is seven and four okay florida atlantic is five and three georgia southern just beat them 20 21 to three two weeks ago and they couldn't move the football so it's not as if these records are wow look Florida Atlantic's five and three. Isn't that amazing? It's like, well, who have they played? You know? Yeah. And, you know, especially in a, in a year like this, that, that even gets magnified. Um, you know, cause now that they don't have a, for this season, they don't have a win requirement for. <coughs> so it, it, yeah. it more, more, more than ever before, it comes down to who have you played? Who have you beat? You mm-hmm. know, what's your, what's your resume look like? Um, and so, yeah, you know, App State kind of just got the short end of the straw in in, in this one. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, another bowl game that was announced uh, next Wednesday, the 23rd, the day before Christmas Eve, uh, Georgia Southern will take on Louisiana Tech in the RL Carriers New Orleans, New Orleans Bowl. bowl. Um, I believe this game had previously been slotted kind of aside for in the past. Hasn't it been the winner of the Sunbelt title game? I mean, obviously coastal is, is way beyond that now. I mean, they're, they're more in the stratosphere of looking at a, a a group of five, you know, comfort, you know, new year's six birth. And obviously they're beyond that, but I was a little surprised to see new Orleans uh, bowl take Georgia Southern. Um, Well, you know, the the contract, was was different this year um, oh was it you know the new orleans bowl had their pick it didn't mm-hmm. have to, it didn't have to be the champion it was whoever whoever they wanted and you know originally and this is just strictly from a business standpoint they wanted louisiana mm-hmm. but with the conference championship game being on the 19th you're not going to play a bowl game four days later yeah, that is a uh, that's a tough sell. <laughs> You're just not. Um, yeah, and so that that's when they land because I mean, obviously, in the state of Louisiana, who wouldn't love a University of Louisiana and Louisiana Tech matchup? Yeah, absolutely. They hate us, we hate them, kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I mean, Georgia Southern Louisiana Tech. I think that's going to be a good matchup. Please, for the love of God, destroy them. Well, I think it all comes down to which quarterback decides that they're healthy enough to play. Um, them. If we're if we're rolling out our third string quarterback again next week, um, well, it's not going to be close. <laughs> right. um, yeah, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, and finally, Western Kentucky takes on Georgia State uh, in on the day after Christmas in the Lending Tree Bowl in Mobile. Um, yeah, I mean, this one makes more sense than the other ones. Uh, you know, Western Kentucky is below 500, but Georgia State's barely hovering above the 500 mark. 
Um, I think Georgia State is a better football team than Western Kentucky overall. Now, they, Georgia State's very uneven in how they play from week to week. But, I mean, if they get up for this one, I think they can beat Western Kentucky. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I think Georgia State is, you know, for sure the the better football team. Uh, I've always loved Quad Brown and the way he kind of controls that offense with his athletic ability. And so, I like you said, it all, it all depends on which version of Georgia State shows up because they've been pretty inconsistent. But mm-hmm. yeah, on paper, I, I think I think it's Georgia State's game to lose. For sure. Um, so that pretty much does it uh, for this, you know, grab bag episode of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt podcast. We had not a lot of games this past weekend. We only have one upcoming game. Uh, for this upcoming weekend to preview with the conference championship. And then just three bowl games have been announced so far with this crazy COVID season. Matt, do you have any final thoughts? Do you want to throw anything else in about the conference title game? Do do you have any kind of parting shots for us as we close out here? Um, I'm just, I'm just excited to, uh, to watch some history on Saturday, man. Cause I mean, as a, as a lifelong some belt fan never in my wildest dreams first of all up until a couple of years ago never in my wildest dreams that i think we'd have a conference championship game yeah and then secondly i never pictured a conference championship game between two top 20 opponents yeah i i think it just speaks to how crazy this season's been overall should be top 15 but you know mm-hmm. won't get into that argument <laughs> Yeah, so uh, just to close out, tell the folks where they can find you on social media. You can find my personal pages on all social media channels at Matt, and you could find my UL podcast on Twitter at Review. And this has been Brian Stone. You can find me on Twitter at WatchTheStone. We will be back at an undetermined date uh, to talk about all of the uh, Sunbelt news and uh, kind of recap championship week as well as, you know, maybe get into some some dig into deeper to some bowl action. But this has been another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. Mm-hmm.